<laughs> the Lord be with you. <laughs> this afternoon, um, we're inviting those of you that want to be a participants in the Friends of St. Anthony. It's our kind of a prayer initiative in Tulsa and Sanctuary. We'd love for more people to get involved. There's about 50 of us involved. Uh, we have a, just a, we're going to pray a short a prayer liturgy thing uh, and talk a little bit about that, hand out some new liturgies for those of you that are part of it. If you'd like to come and be a part of that, please come at 4 p.m. in the gathering area this afternoon. Today is the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. This is a great season for those of us who have an evangelical DNA because it's the time that we celebrate the idea that God loves to make himself known. And uh, we know that he makes himself known through things like creation and through the prophets. Um, we know that he, according to uh, Ecclesiastes, has set eternity in the hearts of every human being that's born into the world. That's why there's this sort of seek and this interest in trying to ask the questions like, why are we here? So we know God has presented himself in those kinds of ways, even though they're fairly opaque ways. He also wants to make himself known more explicitly through his body, through Christ's body, the church. That's us. And so we've been trying to sort of drill into that over the past few weeks. Um, we've been trying to urge you to own the idea that you and I have a responsibility here. That people that live around us that are without faith or people that are around us that are still kind of messing with or struggling with faith, which I think is probably all of us kind of wrestling with faith, that we're to nudge each other and encourage each other and gather together um, uh, that the clearest some will ever see God this side of eternity is via you and me. And on some level that should weigh on us, not in a negative way, but in a way that makes us think that we matter, that our choices then matter, that how we carry ourselves into our day, that that matters, that we are important in God's economy of thought. Um, what I want to sort of talk with you about today is the life that we have in Jesus, um, the one that we're supposed to live out loud, you know, in the world, uh, the one that creates the question. We've, one of our key texts has been out of 1 Peter where we've said that most of us are really called not to have a bullhorn and yell at people or enter into this confrontational kind of thing with people, but simply to live in a way that creates a question, that we live differently enough. That people go, how come you're like that? Why do you forgive? Why do you not react? Why are you the way that you are? And it creates this opportunity or what's called an open door for us to share the story that we're part of, the narrative that we're part of. Um, so this, this faith that we live that um, before people, I, what I want to talk about today is that it, it has to absolutely be clear in our own minds. It has nothing to do with violence. It has nothing to do with the violence of confrontation to others, even though we have to confront oftentimes. It's part of our lives. But, but it's really more about empathy, understanding ourselves, understanding the other than it is about bullhorns. Okay? Um, it's less about right and wrong. It's not just about establishing in our minds, well, that's right and that's wrong in some sort of a didactic, you know, aggressive way, um, then it is about catching what's alive in us and what's alive in others. And believing that that force of life, that the Spirit gives life, and that the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, are, are soft things like love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, 
and faithfulness. These kinds of things, even though they're, they have a force to them, they're not forcefully violent to other people. And, the, and I think that we have to, to realize that, that this walk of faith is more about becoming more fully human ourselves and encouraging others to step into fuller humanness that God intended them to be as his likeness and his image than it is about propagating a system of reward and punishment. But the truth is, most of us, we're like the scripture talks about the law that came as a tutor to lead us to Christ. And the law was all about right and wrong. It was all about reward and punishment. And, but the law was given to lead us to Christ and into a place of grace that's not about forcefulness. And I think some of us, at least, well, let me speak for me. I know in my own life and in my own dealings with people that I often default to the law. I often default to wanting to point out what's right and what's wrong, and especially with my kids, and uh, wanting to point out, you know, what, you know, with, this will be rewarded, and this deserves punishment. We, we tend to live in that law state, and on some level, people just get that. It's pretty suffused in the world, but what Jesus is calling us to is another way, another way to live that is quite simple, but not easy because it's so different. And um, let me read a, a pa one passage before returning to our text. This is out of Matthew 11. It, Jesus is saying, are you tired, worn out, bummed out on religion? This is the message version. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. How I do life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The way of Jesus, which has both belief in it and action in it, is rooted in a lack of violence. A lack of forcefulness. It's nonviolent. It is the way of peace. Grace is an unforced rhythm. It's there. Jesus explicates his way of unforced rhythms in the beginning of Matthew 5, which was where our text came from for the day, within what we call the Beatitudes. And those Beatitudes are quite confusing because Jesus keeps talking about people who are blessed. And, and he describes people who are blessed in very different ways than we tend to describe people who are blessed, right? So when I say I'm blessed, man, I'm, why am I blessed? Because I've got a clear mandate from heaven. I, I feel like I know where I'm going. I feel like I've got my orders. I'm ready to move forward. Man, I'm blessed and highly favored. Jesus said blessed is the person who's poor in spirit. <laughs> in other words, who doesn't have a freaking clue what God's asking them to do. <laughs> who's a little bit confused and things are opaque and it's like stepping into a dark room and you're feeling for where the string is that turns the light on it. You're gingerly moving forward because you're not sure what's there. That's more, Jesus says, you're blessed when you're like that, when you're absolutely in poverty. So Jesus goes on and talks about, you know, I want to say I'm blessed when I feel good about life and life has been sweet to me and all my needs are met. And it's awesome. I'm highly blessed here. And Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. What does that mean? You don't have your needs met. Things are not going right. 
And somewhere in the pain of that, where you process that, then all of a sudden you feel the comfort of the Spirit. And you're blessed because of the morning. So Jesus describes, it's just all upside down, right? I mean, he just describes this whole thing that just does not fit into the American dream. And yet, it's a call for us to recognize that his way of approaching life is very different. So then we come to this text that we read today that's like, what? Right? And it's Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. We're okay with that. But I tell you, he adds to it, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, hmm, would that be all of us? <laughs> right? <laughs> anyone who is, gets angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, in other words, what that word means, you'll see here in a second, is calling somebody a fool. You're an idiot. That's why you pulled in front of me. <laughs> That's why you didn't take your dishes back to the sink, you idiot. That's why you treat me like that at work. If you say to your brother or sister, Raka, you're answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, you're in danger of the fire of hell. In other words, your, your life is being motivated by something other than heaven. The fire that's stoking your actions are the fires of hell. So he's saying, don't let anger over people define your relationship with them. And don't label people in your world based on how things are affecting you. Because it's the fire of hell that motivates labeling, not faith. If we're going to give a proper showing of our Lord, right, to, and message his message through our lives, we're going to have to examine how we deal with people that make us crazy, which is usually anybody that's not exactly like you. Right? So, and let me be honest here. I suck at this. I, uh, I am the chief of sinners when it comes to what I'm talking about. I'm the most ill-qualified to talk about this because I'm a mouthy person. And uh, really, Brent or Janice would be much better. I, I should wear a bracelet, <laughs> WWBD, what would Brent do? Because <laughs> really, they really are good at this, both of them. Um, I, have a, I meet with a spiritual director about every six weeks. A spiritual director is not a counselor. It's a person who, uh, the guy that I go to is actually... Um, um, a Catholic priest, and when I talk with him, you know, one of the most things that come up, he just basically, as a director, just talks to you about what's going on in your life, and what do you think God's saying? And when you bring up stuff, you go, okay, well, hold on a second, he'll say, or she'll say, if you have a, a woman who's in this field, and they'll say, what, what do you think's really the root of that? What's really going on there? What do you think, like, the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on there? And it's about reflection, it's about listening, and it's, I'm shocked and how much God is present there. But one of the things that comes out fairly repeatedly is I got a big mouth. And I love to be in control of my world with my mouth. To speak quickly, assess effectively. I'm not the meek who inherits the earth. I'm the controlling one who takes the earth. 
So I speak really as a sinner here. And I speak with a cry in my heart, Lord, save me. Lord, help me to be the person that people will see you through. So our first lesson is, in this text is we just can't be violent with people. We, we can't let our feelings of anger, our feelings of disgust, our feelings of frustration, our feelings of being vexed over a situation, we can't let that be used to fuel blame to the person who's involved with the situation. You make me so mad when you don't answer my texts. What's wrong with you? You're late again. I can't believe a governmental representative said that. She must be crazy. I can't stand her. You know, the normal fodder of our conversations. Those are all violent communications because they assign blame and judgments to others while it's being fueled by our emotional distress. Our emotional distress is real. We have to admit it. We have to face it. To be a peacemaker, though, a person that's a son or daughter of God, we need to process our feelings before God without people in mind first. I'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment, but this is obviously not how we're used to operating. That's the problem. <laughs> when we feel anger or the pain of frustration in a situation, we, we tend to immediately attack the person who's involved with it or associated with those feelings. And we presume that they are responsible for those feelings. And so we, we call that out. You know, my husband really made me mad again. I'm feeling mad, but my husband really made me mad again. He refuses to help around the house. He, he just frustrates me to no end. He just frustrates. I'm feeling frustration, but he frustrates me. He's responsible for these feelings. My boss makes me want to scream. The feeling is I want to scream. The blame? My boss. She's such a controller. My daughter just won't listen to me. She's driving me crazy. Right? See, these are all um, ways in which we try to speak of what we're feeling violently. It's not the way of Jesus. The truth is, we're individually responsible for our feelings. Each of us. Not our spouses. Not our kids. Not our coworkers. Not our bosses. Not government officials. We're responsible for our feelings. People can't make us feel anything. We feel because we feel. <laughs> That's the, we feel the way we feel because we're feeling creatures. That's, what, that's one of the reasons you can test if you're alive. And our feelings are not really connected to people or connected to things or connected to events as much as they're attached to something going on inside of us, to internal needs that we have. We'll come back to that again. The point here that, that I think I want to point out is that when we blame other people for how we feel, that is the violence we do to them. It's when we are angry with our brother, angry with our sister, 
that we end up in trouble. We attach the anger to them to the point we start to judge them. Raka, fool, is when we're being motivated by hell, not the kingdom of God. We, we feel the way we feel because of the fact that somehow, fueled by feelings, we're alive. But if we're not careful, we take those feelings and we blame and we accuse and we guilt and we judge each other in the hope of making ourselves feel better about what's happening in our lives. This is where Jesus says, don't connect those feelings with those other people. Because when you do and you start calling them names, the whole thing escalates. They name you back. They hit you back. They eye for eye you. Jesus is saying that's not the way of the believer, though it may be the way of most people. He goes on to say later in this text in chapter 5 and verse 38, you heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Everybody kind of gets that. You get even the score. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist the person, even if you think they're evil. Do not resist the person. Don't make this about the person, even if you know they're evil. Don't make it about them. He says, if anyone slaps you on the cheek, the right cheek, turn to them the other also. See, he's talking about what's called the lex talionis here. It's the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, bone for bone, fist for fist. It was a common way that the ancient world and people today even thinks just feels right. But Jesus is basically saying, listen, don't make struggles and bruises and injustices of life about people. They're real. They're painful. But don't make them about people. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord, which I think is what we want to do, and in his mighty power, which is I think what we want to bring on parade for the world, his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can stand against the devil's schemes. So what's the scheme? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. See, the scheme of hell is to get you to think it is against flesh and blood. It's your son. That adult son that's just acting so horribly. It's that gal in the office is making you crazy. That's who you're struggling with. That's the devil's scheme. To get you to think your problem is people. He said, no, no. He said, your struggle, because we are in a struggle, is really not the people. It's against the rulers and authorities against powers of the dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What Paul is saying is that people, including you and me, are often like puppets on strings, unconscious of forces that are impacting us. We don't have time to unpack it, but principalities and powers are not just demons. It's talking about, uh, you know, kind of structures and the ways that our culture thinks or what they think or embrace as right that may or may not be right, that we're influenced by that besides the hurts that we have. Sometimes we're on strings based on those hurts or sometimes it's, we have these unmet needs that are under the surface that we're being puppeted by. The strings are attached to that. And so what we have to understand is we cannot, 
If we want to be peacemakers, start with blame and judgment. If we want to be peacemakers, we cannot demean or shame others. So what do we do with our feelings of anger and frustration and sadness? I think, I think we must learn to process them nonviolently, which is to say, without using them as weapons against people around us. It starts with us getting in touch with what's happening in us. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. This event has happened. Not because of him. Don't go there. Not because of her. But this event has happened and I'm frustrated about this. And I'm mad about this. And, and, and we first get in touch with it. We own it. This is very difficult for me. I'm a, those of you that know anything about the Enneagram, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, which means to say, I don't believe pain exists because I pretend it doesn't. <laughs> so I don't want to deal with pain. So if you do something that's painful to me, you're just being what you are, a demon from hell. And my real ministry is to cast you out. <laughs> Legion. So this is really hard for me. Owning it, <laughs> embracing it. See, I, I really want to, this, this whole way of addressing your feelings is kind of a, for, I'm going to call it a four-step process, which is grossly oversimplifying it, ridiculously oversimplifying it. Uh, but, but here's what I'm saying. When we experience, first thing, when we experience anger or frustration or an impulse to lash out, we just need to stop and feel what we feel. Not dodge it, not avoid it, not stuff it, but feel it, which means that we don't necessarily always open our mouth right when we feel pain. That's where I get in trouble. I react instead of respond. I get slapped, and here goes my fist in mid I go, poosh. I don't stop and turn the other cheek. I don't hear accusations, and then when Jesus heard that accusation about the woman who was caught in that sin, and instead of reacting, he goes to the ground, and he's putting his finger in the, in the earth. So interesting, because the only other place we hear about God's finger was when the Decalogue was written. In stone, the Ten Commandments in stone. And God was writing it in stone. And it became the right and the wrong of the world. And here in the face of the right and the wrong of this situation, instead of defaulting to what his finger wrote in stone, he writes his finger in dirt. The stuff humans are made of. And he writes something different. And he looks up and he goes, okay, which one of you guys are without this sin in your life? Not this particular one, but any sin. And then he said, let him be the first to throw the stones. And they all leave and he looks at this woman and in a way that turns black into white into something different, 18% neutral gray, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now the real question is, what if he'd caught her the next day? What would he have said? I think every day this would have happened. He would have said the same thing. Neither do I condemn you. But better for you. Go and sin no more. Your needs will be met in a way that will transform your life when you don't do this kind of stuff. Because this kind of stuff kills. We've got to refuse to connect the feelings to anything outside of ourselves. Anything... Any other person, there are feelings. 
No one, no thing, no group, no institution can make you feel a particular way. Feelings are your domain. And, and it does violence to say, because of how Sarah treats me at work, I want to quit my job. The fact is, you feel like quitting your job. Now, it might be over stuff that happened with Sarah, but you want to quit your job. Sarah didn't make you want to quit your job. Because of how the new president is acting, our new president is acting, you, you, you might want to move to Canada. He's not making you want to move to Canada. You have these feelings, but they're feelings you have. Nobody's making you have those feelings. These, when you start assessing it and saying, Sarah's to blame, or this elected official's to blame, or that person to blame, or sanctuary leadership, is to blame, whatever you blame your feelings on, all you're doing is entering into blame and judgment and violence. If you say to Joe, Joe, you make me so mad because every time we talk, you interrupt me. See, you're, you're assigning blame and judgment to Joe. This is violent communication. It will inspire blame. It will inspire judgment right back at you. Because he might pop up and say, well, I interrupt you because you go on and on and on about stuff that doesn't even matter. <laughs> right? And you're off to the races. See, our task is to feel. But then our task, number two, is to try to discern what those feelings are connected to inside us. Why am I mad? Why am I frustrated? Why am I vexed in this moment? And here's the hint. Feelings are always connected to needs. If you're having good feelings, it's because you have met needs. If you have bad feelings, it's being prompted by some needs you fear are not going to be met. So what we need to discern is, if we're going to understand what's really going on inside of us, we have to ask, what's alive in me? What's really going on? What am I feeling and what is it attached to in terms of need? Now, here's why this is so difficult, is that we're in a culture that never wants to admit need because then you're you're needy. So I don't have a need when Joe cuts me off. Joe's cutting me off. He makes me crazy. Stop it, Joe! Stop it! Right? Joe. <laughs> but, but, but if I stop and I say, wait a minute, I'm really mad. Joe has just cut me off. I'm really mad because there's the million dollar question. Because I have a need to be heard. I have a need to not be discounted. That's what's going on. When you align your emotion with your need, you exit this issue of violence. And you can be honest about what's going on inside you so that you can have a conversation that's not violent, that you're not angry with your brother or sister. You're not calling raka to your brother or sister, but you're simply coming and saying, this issue has happened. I'm so angry, but you know why I'm angry, Joe? Because I, f I have this need to be heard. Whole different conversation.
This is the work that we're to do with with all of our arguments, all of our disagreements, all of our struggles that we have with our families, our friends, our church, the place we work, the U.S. government, (laughs) for that matter. Now, obviously, this gets more complex, so it's not simple. Feel what you feel. Feel deeply, refusing to align blame. Discern what it is you need to discern. There's another word for this. It's called mourning. Lament. This is whenever you go through the process of discerning your emotion in the light of your needs. When you mourn like that, take a moment and taste your own pain and see with discernment what it's really attached to. You, Jesus promised, will be comforted. So he says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn. Not blame, not jump to the races, not slap back when they, but just feel the pain and process it. Ouch. Ouch. Ouch, 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 ouch. I'm so mad. Why? This needs going on, Matt. If you will mourn, you will be comforted. And so then when you respond, you're not responding out of the sting of the slap, but you've turned to another place and you're responding out of the health of comfort. If we would dare to mourn, we would be ready to respond to the bumps and bruises that we face in the world. I've got a song that I wanted to play a part of, and I want to ask you if you would just, this is like a little experiment And uh, uh, this song is not particularly one that I love. Uh, It's one of my kids' songs. (laughs) It's an Arabian song, and I'm I'm just not used to hearing that. You know, that kind of stuff. I just, it's not my cup of tea generally. But, But what I love about that part of the world and the songs that emerge out of that part of the world, it's so full of tension and pull and angst. And um, the song is about the body and blood of Christ that we are. That we're the love of God expressed. Now it's, the way that it's sung, you could never tell that's what is being sung. (laughs) But that's what it's about. And it's full of angst because we're in a broken world and an unjust world. And so what I want to do is just, just as an experimental thing, just go with me here, even though if you think I'm crazy, and sit up tall, put your feet on the ground, put your phone away. Take a big, go ahead and start the song. Take a, a deep breath with me. Breathe out. And for just a moment, think, think of the most horrible thing that has happened to you in the last year or six months. Breathe in. Breathe out. And let this song and the tone of it, the tune of it, express that pain. Let it ride on this tension. giving it to God. 
It hurts. It's horrible. You give it to God. about 50 times and you let your heart and your pain and your angst just simply be expressed not to your brother or to your sister or to the ones that you feel are causing you the pain but just bear the pain bring it to God and realize there are unmet things in me that may or may not be able to be met by others Sometimes there's a fix. Sometimes people will step up and actually meet those needs. But the beauty about God is that when others don't, he promises to. We need to learn to mourn. Because after we mourn, we can address the context of our lives nonviolently. Which looks like when I talk with Joe and he cuts me off and doesn't listen to me, I can say, you know, Joe, I get angry. Because I have this need to be heard. In a relationship, I need to feel valued. And it's this kind of chatter that leads to honest conversations, not fights. Try to mourn your feelings before you open your mouth. Get comforted first, or you'll speak out of emotional pain with accusation and blame. This is not easy to do. And then two more quick steps. The third step is once you've processed your emotions and you've connected with connected them not with the people around you, but with the needs that you have. Now it's time 
to empathize with the other person who seems at first to be the instigating culprit. What needs are they trying to meet in themselves? Even if it's an evil way that they're trying to meet it, what needs are they trying to meet? We have to humanize them. We have to mourn with those who need to mourn. And then lastly, fourthly, we need to search for a win by expressing how each one of our needs, everyone's needs, can be met more positively, more effectively, without causing harm. It's a very simple idea, certainly not easy, because we're trained to fight for ground of right and wrong, punishment and reward, but those are violent things. A couple more examples. One of Gail and my frequent arguments with my bride of 40 years has to do with what I do with my time. I am (laughs) self-employed. I easily have three full-time jobs, to be honest with you. You'd think she'd be proud of me. But no. I'll say yes to something I probably shouldn't have said yes to. And she'll say, Eddie. She calls me Eddie. No one here calls me Eddie. And no one will. (laughs) Or we will be violent. I'm just not there yet. Eddie, why did you say yes to that? Well, at first I'm shocked, right? I mean, I feel this legion of sentries arriving around my heart in full armor to protect me. And I'm hurt and I'm mad. I mean, after all, why doesn't she appreciate how many plates I'm spinning? I mean, should, she should show me more respect. To, you know, she's responsible for these feelings at this point. And I'm mad. My default, instead of owning my own feelings, is to assign them to her. Well, she's the problem, right? I'm wrestling with flesh and blood. Raka! Raka! That's <laughs> great. Like a crow. Raka! <laughs> That's me pretty much right there. That's... Pro man. This is doing violence. This is eye for eyeing. This is resisting a person I have no right to resist, even if I think she's wrong. Life isn't served when we do this. It's only served when I stop and I ask myself, what's going on? You know, I mean, what's really upsetting me? Why am I mad when she asks me, why did you say yes to this? Because my own need to be trusted. Maybe she doesn't trust me. That's what's going on. That's what's alive in me. Or or my own need for some autonomy. There's just so many things that I've got to do that I have to have some sense of control and autonomy. And I have to be able to make decisions without clearing every decision. So I have this need for autonomy. And so that's really what's going on. She's not making me mad. My need for needs to be met. Those are the things that have my emotions screaming. And getting in touch with those feelings and those needs is, is the only way to not be a violent person. Then there are her feelings to deal with, right? She's obviously pressed and upset in the tone. She said, Edwin, Eddie, why did, you say, why did you say yes to that? It's a degree of frustration. What's her frustration about? I mean, I'm not frustrating her. Oh, praise the Lord. 
<laughs> but she's obviously concerned. She's obviously troubled. What, what, what need is emerging in her that's unmet? What's alive in her? I discover as I ask that, that she has this need. Honey, what's, what's going on? She has this need to not let me work myself into an early grave. I don't want you under the pressure. She has this need to, for my support in her life. If I'm always doing something, I'm not there with her. And just for the general home stuff and family stuff, concerns, responsibilities, sometimes it gets left on her plate because I said yes to something I shouldn't have said yes to. See, her emotions are all wrapped up in those needs. And when I listen and I hear her say, I'm frustrated because I don't want you to work yourself to death. And I'm sad or upset a little because I feel that the need that I have for the support of you being here and watching what happens and in real time being part of this family, I feel like those are threatened. All of a sudden, I empathize. And when she hears what I say, she all of a sudden goes, oh, I see that. And then we can have a conversation. What can we do to make sure all needs are met? One more example. In the, what I'm simply suggesting is we bump into those unforced rhythms of grace. But one more. In the social, political milieu we're in, lots of talk about racism, lots of talk about sexism, lots of talk about misogyny, lots of talk about the poor, lots of talk about the challenge of immigration, lots of talk about the roles of government. It's so easy to get mad as a hornet and to call anyone who doesn't agree with us, raka. But that's not our way. Not if you're a peacemaker. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you want to show Jesus to the world. Not if you want to get them asking questions about why are you different? We need to own our own emotions, right? I'm mad when I see families separated over this immigration thing, right? I'm mad because I, I feel like our country needs to be compassionate. So I'm getting mad because I feel this need is being threatened. That's what's going on inside me. Or I, you know, on the other way, you might be mad over the immigration thing because you go, you know, I, you, you, you see that, that there are laws that are on the books that are not being enforced and you have, you say, I'm mad because, you know, I, I see this, there are all the, the, the undocumented people and I'm thinking to myself, it makes me mad. Why? Because I have this need to know that, that there's some order and there's some law and that there's appropriateness going on and that, that issues of safety are being addressed. Those are all legitimate needs. When we expose our needs in conversations, well, I see why you're mad about some of the activity that's happening against immigrants because you want us to be a compassionate nation. You feel the need for that. Oh, I see that. But the reason I am in the opposite direction is because I have this need that we have order and that our country's safe. Okay, okay. So we can understand each other. Then maybe we can start talking about ways in which both and all needs are met. 
Isn't this what peacemaking is? But instead, no, no, no. I'm mad about what Trump's doing with the immigrants, and I'm mad about people that aren't excited about what he's doing for the immigrants. And we just speak raka. This is sin. This is violence. Don't be violent. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons and daughters of God. If you want to be a son or daughter of God, you must recuse yourself from that kind of hate speech, blame speech, demeaning speech, not over-celebrating or over-criticizing, being aware of the other. This is the way of Jesus, not shame and blame and demeaning and violence, but this is the way of Jesus, and we express it one conversation at a time, one situation at a time. This is how we make Christ known. We are the peace people. And I dare you to start practicing this with your spouse or your kids or your in-laws or your outlaws on the job. This will stir up questions. Jesus will pop out of the pores of your soul. And it will happen as Jesus said it in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world when you live in this kind of way. A town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And so they put it on its stand, put it out proud. And it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds, that they may see your good deeds. Listen, nonviolent, unforced, empathetic connections are a huge part of the good deeds Jesus is talking about here. They will see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Why aren't more people coming to Jesus? Because the church hasn't figured out how to be the church. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.